Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful Word of the Lord? Today we're looking in the book of Romans chapter number 14. The book of Romans chapter number 14. I want you to pay close attention this morning. I am going to commit the unpardonable sin of preaching, and that is reading too much Scripture. So I need you to pay very close attention with me this morning, but I feel like that I need to read it all this morning, and I'm not going to go back in the sermon and read the Scripture. So pay close attention as we go back, as we go through this this morning, and I will refer back to the Scriptures, but I won't read them. I'll just give you the verses. All right, are you with me this morning? Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we do not live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church. And try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. 
Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And then in chapter 15, in verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise, promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Father, I thank you for this incredible, incredible word. Father, I just pray today that you will illuminate the word to our hearts today. Father, I pray that you will give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech today. Father, help me, Lord, to speak clearly the word that you have uh, spoken to me to share with your people today. Father, I pray you'll give us ears upon our heart today. God, anoint us today to hear your word. And Father, help us, Lord, to put into practice what we receive. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, today we are going to conclude our series, I'm Calling Roaming through Romans. Today we're going to look at all of chapter 14 as well as the first seven uh, verses of chapter 15. Don't let that freak you out. It'll be 35 minutes uh, anyway, all right? So don't don't let the the amount of scripture bother you. Now in this passage, Paul uh, deals with some of the do's and don'ts of Christianity. Now, although he is mostly talking about what a Christian should or should not eat and should or should not drink and talks mostly about which day of the week that we should or should not worship on, I believe that what Paul says here would apply to all areas of Christian living. Now, please understand that what Paul says here does not apply. See, does not apply. Please understand that what Paul says here does not apply to clear black and white commands in Scripture that are interpreted correctly, say interpreted correctly, and understood in context. I'm going to say that again. What Paul says here does not apply to clear black and white commands in Scripture that are interpreted correctly and understood in context. Paul is speaking here about areas that are unclear, that are a little bit fuzzy, that are not specifically addressed in Scripture. He's talking about our personal convictions. Say, personal convictions. So what we're talking about, understand this morning, what we are talking about today is our personal convictions. 
Now, there are five things that I would like to pull from these verses and talk to you about today. The first one is, this morning, not everyone will see eye to eye on every matter. Not everyone will see eye to eye on every matter. You'll find that in the first four verses that we read. See, here's what we need to understand. Different cultures, we touched, touched on this a little bit last week, but what we need to understand is that different cultures produce different philosophies. Uh, for example, I was raised a, in a culture that taught very strict and very legalistic rules and regulations. Uh, I, I didn't have a clue uh, as to what our church what our church believed, but I could sure tell you what we didn't believe. I couldn't tell you what we were for, but I could definitely tell you what we were against, and it was about just about everything. The God that I was introduced to was mean, carried a big club, and loved to knock people around. That's the God that I was introduced. That's the culture I grew up in. Thank God I am no longer a part of that culture. Paul was dealing with two very different cultures here in the book of Romans. There were both Jew and Gentile Christians in the church. And the Jew and the Gentile were polar opposites in culture. Uh, It would take an absolute miracle to blend the two cultures into one church. But let me tell you that little has changed. Little has changed. See, every single Sunday we open our doors and a flood of different cultures come in. And I want to tell you that I am extremely happy about this. We have different colors. We have different ethnicities, we have different nationalities. We have people that come in here from very strict religious upbringings similar to mine. Uh, we, come, we have people that walk in these doors that come from a culture of, of, of liberalism. Uh, and then we have people that come in straight off of the street. Not everyone will see eye to eye on every matter. Different cultures produce different philosophies. Because of this, we shouldn't expect everyone to see everything exactly as we do. In the early church, the Jew had a very difficult time in letting go of the law and embracing this new teaching called grace. And they really had a difficult time letting go of all of the little add-ons to the law that were actually teachings of man and not actual commands of God. And little has changed. Little has changed. The church today still fusses over matters that don't really matter. Uh, The church today is still going around and around and around over the do's and don'ts of Christianity. And most of these do's and don'ts have more to do with the culture that we were raised in than anything else. And each new generation that comes along challenges 
the previous generation on some of their beliefs and, and the new generation dismisses unsubstantiated beliefs and only embraces substantiated teaching and beliefs. I've got a good word for somebody here today and the word that you need to hear this morning and that is if you plan to be dogmatic on the do's and don'ts of Christianity, you better have chapter and verse to substantiate or prove what you're saying. And your chapter and verse must be correctly interpreted and not taken out of context. See, not everyone will see eye to eye on every matter. And there's so many matters that just don't really matter. Hey, 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 if it's not a heaven or hell issue, uh, if it doesn't affect our salvation or the salvation of somebody else in light of eternity, does it really matter? See, too many Christians get so caught up in matters that don't really matter that they don't have time for the matters that really do matter. So let me suggest this this morning. We should unite on the major issues instead of dividing on minor ones. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 25, He said, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. And see, the devil knows that if he can get the church divided, he will paralyze the church and he will make it powerless and he will make it ineffective. He knows that if we, he can get me uh, shooting at you and you shooting at me, uh, he knows that if he can get the, the, the church fighting on the inside, that they won't be effective on the outside. He knows that if he can get the church focused on trivial issues, issues, trivial issues such as what you can eat and what you can drink, and trivial issues like which day of the week are you going to worship on, trivial issues uh, like should we have traditional uh, music or contemporary music. I believe we ought to unite on the major issues instead of dividing on minor ones. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples, you'll find the story there where the disciples shunned some followers of Jesus because they were, they were not a part of their particular group. Evidently, they weren't assembly of God. And so they rejected, they shunned these followers of Jesus because they were not walking with them, because they weren't in their camp, because they weren't under their umbrella, because they weren't a part of their denomination. And the Bible says that Jesus rebuked the disciples for excluding these saints. And Jesus said, hey, if someone is not against us, then they are for us. Listen, this morning, not everyone in Christianity embraces the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. But I want to tell you this morning that if they preach and teach Jesus as the Savior of the world, if they preach Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me, they are our brother or they are our sister in Christ. We may not see eye to eye on everything, but we see eye to eye on the main thing. And so we should unite on the major issues instead of dividing on minor ones. All right, notice the second thing I see in our scripture for today. 
It's the motive that matters. It's the motive that matters. You'll find that in verses 5 through 8. Here's the question we should be asking. Why do we choose to eat and drink certain things or not? Why do we do certain things or not do certain things? That's the question. The question is why? Let me suggest that a pure motive is to please God. A pure motive is to please God. If what we are or are not doing is motivated by a sincere desire to please God, then it's a pure motive. If you're convinced that God uh, would not be pleased if you did a certain thing and so you choose not to do it, God will be honored in what you have chosen not to do. But on the other hand, if you are convinced that God is okay with you doing a certain thing and so you go ahead and do it, even if others cannot do it, but you have a clear conscience in doing it and you go ahead and do it, God is honored. He's honored in your liberty. See, it's the motive that matters. Paul, in, in our scripture today, basically says that in all matters that are not spelled out in black and white in scriptures, in all these matters, say these matters, in all these matters, whatever you can do with a clear conscience is okay to do. If your conscience doesn't bother you and the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, according unto Paul's teaching, you honor God in your liberty. Paul writes in verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not, say not. Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or what you drink. Why have we made it that way? He said it's not a matter. The kingdom of, of, of heaven is not a matter of what you eat or what you drink, but it is of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, he also teaches that if someone, if something bothers our conscience, we should listen to our conscience. And our not doing something also honors God. Again, because we are trying to please God. It's the motive that matters. And if our motive is to please God, then we have a pure motive. A pure motive is to please God. An impure motive is to impress man. If our motive for doing something or not doing something is to impress man, we have an impure motive. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul rebukes Peter. Peter had embraced the new teaching of salvation by grace and grace alone and by not uh, performing all of uh, keeping the law. And he began to teach it, he began to preach it, he had begun to fellowship with Gentile Christians. But when he began to receive criticism from other Jewish believers for what he was doing, he began to backpedal and, and regress. He started pulling away from the Gentiles and he started pulling away from this new doctrine of salvation by grace. And the Bible says that Paul called him out on this. Even called him a hypocrite. See, it's the motive that matters. An impure motive is to impress man. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. Alright, let's notice the third thing that I see in our scripture today. Number three is we, we will give an account of our actions. 
We'll give an account of our actions. That's found in verses 9 through 13. See, one of these days, every single one of us is going to stand before God, and we're going to have to answer to God in two areas. Number one, we're going to have to answer to God in how we lived our lives. Verse 12, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. What kind of account? A personal account. I'm not going to have to answer to you, and you're not going to have to answer to me. I'm not going to have to answer to you on what you did with your personal convictions, and you're not going to have to answer to me on how I handled my personal convictions. It's going to be a personal account. What were our motives? How did we decide what we should and should not do? Did we live our lives to please God or did we live our lives to please ourselves? Or did we live our lives to impress other people? But not only will we give an account on how we lived our lives, but we'll also give, have to answer to God on how we treated our brothers and our sisters in Christ. One of these days, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to answer to how you treated your fellow Christian. Verse number 10, Paul says, so why do you condemn other believers? Why do you look down on them? And verse 13, he writes, he says, so let's, let's stop condemning one another. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said that we should treat others the way that we want to be treated. And Jesus said that, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't know about you, but I need mercy. Listen, the only way I'm going to get to heaven is by mercy and grace. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a rascal. And my only hope is is mercy and grace. And so I throw myself upon the mercy and the grace of Almighty God for my salvation. And I'm going to tell you that I I mess up enough. I say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do and hurt people's feelings and get misunderstood all the time. And listen, I'm going to tell you, you're looking at somebody that needs mercy and needs grace for for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I need you to be merciful to me. I need you to show grace to me. But let me tell you, the only way that I'm going to receive mercy and the only way that I'm going to receive grace is if I am a merciful and graceful person. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said those that show mercy will receive mercy. Those that give grace will receive grace. Now understand this morning, I'm not talking about placing our stamp of approval on everything other Christians do. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about not rejecting other saints because because they don't dot their I's and cross their T's exactly like we do. I'm talking about, I'm talking about allowing other saints the right uh, to decide what's right and wrong for them personally. What I'm talking about this morning is allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them rather than me trying to convince them. And I believe for years, I I certainly believe when I was growing up that, that, that instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict people, we were in the business of trying to convince people. Listen, the Bible didn't say anything about me being convinced by what you say, but it says much about me being convicted by the Holy Spirit, being led and directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Work out your own salvation, but don't stop there. He says, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works. It's who? 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's keep moving this morning. Number four. Don't criticize other believers for their liberty or lack of liberty. Don't criticize other believers for their liberty or lack of liberty. That's found in chapter in the first in, in verses one through three and chapter fifteen and verse seven. If you were to ask me what my greatest struggle in ministry is, somewhere at the top of my list. I would have to answer and tell you it would be having to deal with super spiritual saints. Having to deal with super spiritual saints. Saints who continually criticize other saints for what they do and what they don't do. And how they live their lives. Saints that that act like watchdogs over other saints and watchdogs over the church. Self-appointed police that run around blowing their spiritual whistle. I laughed when I wrote it down. Self-appointed police that run around blowing their spiritual whistle and handing out tickets to everyone that break their personal laws of what is right and what is wrong. How many of you still love me? The Apostle Paul specifically tells us not to be guilty of this. Paul asks this question. Oh, it's a good one. Paul says, who are we to reject someone that God has accepted? Did you know there are churches that will not take into membership people that God has accepted as believers? Because they don't fit under their little umbrella because they don't cross their T's and dot their I's exactly the same way. They have actually placed themselves above God. God has received them. God has embraced them. God has accepted them. But they won't. Paul said, who are we to reject somebody that God has accepted? In verse 4, Paul basically says, let them alone and let the Holy Spirit convict them. If their heart is right, God will lead them, God will mature them, God will reveal to them what pleases Him and what displeases Him. See, our job is to just love people. That's our job this morning. Our job is simply to love people. All people. Oh, it's God's job to mold them. It's God's job to fashion them. It's God's job to sanctify them. It's our job to catch the fish. It's God's job to clean them. So don't expect everyone to abide by your personal convictions. Don't make mountains out of molehills. And don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. 
Don't dismiss someone as a heretic just because you don't agree with a few things they have to say. Learn to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Take all the positive things they have to say and and be blessed by them for all the incredible, awesome things they have to say and then ignore the things you don't agree with or chew on some things that you're not sure about until you're sure about them. Then you'll decide whether you're going to swallow them or spit them out. I hope you chew on what I give you. I'm sure I've given some false doctrine before. I know I have because I remember some of it. It, we're We're all a work in progress. So take all the positive things that they say and be blessed by those things and ignore or chew on the things that you don't agree with or not sure of and then decide whether you're going to swallow it or you're going to spit it out. Here's what I learned a long, long time ago. Someone came to me one day and said, I don't agree with what, I don't agree with you on this matter, Pastor. I don't even remember what the matter was, but I do remember them coming to me and saying, I don't, I don't agree with you on this matter. And I said to them very kindly, and I was, I, very kindly I said, well, then I guess that means that I don't agree with you. See, they want to make me feel bad because they didn't agree with me. Well, you know, the fact they don't agree with me makes, means that I don't agree with them either. I said very nicely to them, I said, I said well, well then I, I guess that means that I don't agree with you either. But I said, but we are still brothers. We're still brothers because, because we agree on what really matters. And what really matters is who Jesus is. What really matters is what, who Jesus is and what he did for us. And so if we can agree on that, everything else is not really worth fussing about. Listen, if you can do whatever... Uh, you do with a clear conscience. Who am I to criticize you? If it goes against your conscience to do something that I have liberty to do, who am I to criticize you for not doing it? But you shouldn't criticize me if I have liberty to do it. Now remember, we are, we are talking about issues that are not spelled out in black and white in Scripture. We're talking about personal Convictions. All right, notice the, the last thing Paul take, talks about in our scripture for today, and this is, I left the best to last. So if you tune me out, tune me back in. There's some good stuff coming up. We must use wisdom with our personal freedom. We must use wisdom with our personal freedom. You find that in verses 13 through 15 and chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Let me begin with this this morning. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. For example, if I have liberty to do something in a certain area, but I am with someone who doesn't have liberty in this area, someone who would be offended if they saw me doing this, then I shouldn't do it. Even though my conscience is clear and I don't have a personal conviction about it, but for the sake of my brother or the sake of my sister, because for the sake of their personal conviction, I will refrain from doing it. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Verse 13, 
Paul says, live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And verse 15, if another brother is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. And verse number 20, all foods are acceptable. Paul said, there's no food that's bad. It's all acceptable, he said, but it is wrong... If all food is acceptable, how in the world could it be wrong to eat certain food? He said, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. See, the food isn't wrong, and eating the food isn't wrong. What's wrong is you've made somebody else stumble. So in all areas of life, not just food and drink. In all areas of life, even if we have the liberty to do something, even if our conscience is clear and we have no personal conviction against it, we still should not do it if our doing it would offend another Christian or cause them to stumble over us and what we are doing. All that being said, let me now say this and listen to me carefully. Just because you can't do something in one place doesn't mean you can't do it anywhere. Now you're chewing on that one. If I have total liberty in a certain area, my conscience is clear in this area, I have no personal conviction about it, but I'm with someone who doesn't have liberty in this area, someone who does have a personal conviction against it. So for their sake, and to keep from offending them and causing them to stumble, I will refrain and I will not do it. I just said that while ago. But, say but. But, if there is no one around that will be offended, and I have liberty in that area, I'm okay to do it. Just because you can't do something in one place doesn't mean you can't do it anywhere. But pastor, isn't that being hypocritical? No. I'm being considerate of someone else and how they see things. A hypocrite is somebody who is purposely trying to deceive somebody. I'm not trying to deceive anybody. I'm just trying not to offend somebody. So when I'm with somebody that doesn't see eye to eye with me on a matter, I know if I did it, it will will offend them even though it won't offend me. I still won't do it because I don't want to offend them. But that doesn't mean I can't ever do it. Hypocrite is somebody who is purposely trying to deceive somebody. It's somebody who preaches one thing and practices the opposite. It's not hypocritical to refrain from the participation of something you are not convicted of in order to avoid offending somebody else. And then the last thing I want you to get this morning, and man, this is good. Get ready. Tell your neighbor this one's good. Just because you have liberty... To do something doesn't mean you broadcast it. Just because you have liberty to do something doesn't mean you should broadcast it. 
Verse 22, Paul says, You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it to yourself and God. He didn't say don't do it. He said just don't broadcast it. It's good teaching this morning. It's not run around and jumping about preaching, but it's good teaching. Verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it to yourself and God. Blessed are those, he said, who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. Just because you have liberty to do something doesn't mean you should broadcast it. You don't have to stop doing everything that someone has a conviction against. (laughs) You'd stop living. But if you know somebody has a personal conviction against an area, again, we're talking about personal convictions, not talking about black and white issues that are spelled out uh, in Scripture that we understand in context, not talking about that, talking about personal conviction. If you know someone has a personal conviction against an area where you don't, it's foolish for you to talk about it when they're around. And it's not wise for you to post about it or show pictures of it on Facebook. See, it's totally impossible to live our lives without offending somebody. I offend somebody every Sunday when I get up. I'm too hard or I'm too soft. I'm too on the left, I'm too on the right. It is impossible to totally live our lives without offending somebody. Some people live to be offended. When you stop offending them, they'll find somebody else to offend them because they just love to be offended. Listen, we cannot live up to everyone's expectations of us 100% of the time. And that being said, we need to be very sensitive and we need to use a lot of wisdom. And especially when we are around people that we know have personal convictions in certain areas. We need to use wisdom with our personal freedom. How many's understood what I've had to say this morning? How many's gotten something from it this morning? Amen. We get our worship team back in place this morning. We're going to go to our takeaway this morning. The takeaway of this message is number one: sanctification is a process. I had so many notes today; there wasn't room on the bulletin, so you might want to write it down. Sanctification is a process. I'm not going to argue about sanctification, how you get sanctification, whatever. I have a hard time with those people that say it's a definite thing and then they get mad at you when you don't see it that way. Where, where did the sanctification go? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to argue about it. Hey, I just wish people get sanctified. If you can get it all in one dose, Hallelujah. But even if you get sanctified, you believe you get sanctified, and I'm not going to argue about that. If you get sanctified and you've got sanctified, praise the Lord, I'm glad for you. And I have no problem with it. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's not just about what happened that day, what's happened now. Sanctification is a process. Second takeaway this morning is we are all at different places in this process. We are all at different places in this 
process. Every Sunday morning, I look over the congregation and I see, I see old-time Pentecostal people that were raised just like I was raised. I see people that just walked in off the street, hadn't have a clue about church and church lingo and church language. And see people that were raised in a very legalistic culture, all kinds of things. Different colors, different nationalities, different ethnicities. We're all at different places in this process. And number three, we should practice patience with others in their process. Practice patience with others in their process. They're at a different level. They're at a different place in the process than we are. You should expect more out of me than someone who just got saved last Sunday morning. We're all at a different place in the process. And we should practice patience with others in their process. Can we stand this morning in His presence today? Father, I thank You today for this teaching today. Father, I believe that it is needed. I believe that it is valid. I believe that it is important. God, I am so grateful and I am so thankful that that you have taken me a long way in my process. God, I am so thankful, Lord, that I'm not way back there where I was. I realize I haven't arrived yet. I'm still still in the process. Still in the process like everybody else. I thank you that you're at work every one of us today. 